The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Daikon. Use less energy to heat your home this winter. D-A-I-K-I-N dot I-E. Your energy, your choice. On News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome along to the latest episode of the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan. Gardening expert Peter Dowdle will be joining me a little bit later with tips for minding our winter garden. I'll be joined by artist Orla Walsh. She's been described as Ireland's answer to Andy Warhol with her quirky pop art collection of Brown Thomas bags. And what's a breakfast pantry? Well, Neve Marr will be here to explain all. If you'd like to get involved in our podcast and maybe suggest guests and topics for us, well, of course, you can do that by emailing us during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you can catch all of our pods, all of our items and every single show we've ever done up on the Newstalk app or on newstalk.com, powered by Go Loud. Now, I hope you were all enjoying uh, breakfast on uh, the last week before the schools go back next week or maybe you're out for a walk and you had something nice before you left. Coffee and croissant, fruit and granola or maybe the full fry up. Well, whatever it was, did you find all your ingredients in your breakfast pantry? Uh, What's that? I hear you ask. Well, it's the latest kitchen accessory. It is de-rigger in all the best homes, all the celeb homes. And of course, Neve Marr has been taking a look uh, and will be joining us later on in the show to tell us what should be in it, what it should look like, where you should have it. And I have to say, I think it's a fabulous idea. You are very welcome along to The Home Show. My first guest has been referred to as the Irish Andy Warhol with her iconic art, some of which will be displayed at this year's Art Source, which takes place at the RDS next weekend. Uh, Orla Walsh, you're very welcome to The Home Show. Thank you. Um, Now, tell me about, I I love Art Source and, and I try to go every year because it's just... Do you know what it is? It's not like going into an art gallery. It's very relaxed. It is. And even people who are a bit nervous about buying art, mm-hmm. there's such a range. There of is. There's a massive range of there. everything. You've got, you know, it, it goes from your, you know, as I said, your pop art, but all the way down. It, like they even have young kids who have just finished college and they give them a fresh start and they give them uh, sections at the back of the show that you can come in and have a look at. And then we have all the Irish artists who are around today and they paint everything from like, you know, your Wellington boots, your landscapes, your portraits. You've got a whole mm. vast range. Mm. So even you if know, you don't know what you like, <laughs> you yeah, that's something. it. You, so beauty is in the eye. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. You walk in, if you're attracted to something, just go for it, just move towards yeah. it. Yeah. So um, in terms of your own display, because I know you've been, I've seen you there before yes. and um, and you can't miss it actually in one okay. <laughs> because of the uh, fantastic splash of colour yeah. and nostalgia that yeah. greets you when you see your exhibition. So talk to, to listeners who don't know a little bit about the type of art that you create. I use Irish-based products that something that like um, sort of resonates with me deeply. So it would be right down to the LucasAid bottle. It'd have to be from the 1970s and it'd have to be the one with the crinkled wrapper. And the reason being for that would be like when I was young and you'd hear the gay burn show, you were sick at home and, you know, your mum would be coming up the stairs and she'd be giving you LucasAid and it was like, oh my God, and you have that cosy feeling of, you know, being there. And it, so when I paint something, it has to mean something to me. And I suppose like, I suppose most recently I just did uh, Abrasilla oil uh, from the 1970s and it the one was that you got all completely like 
Oh, burnt to sizzle. a frazzle. Sizzle. <laughs> and you thought, you thought factor two, you yeah. were like not going to get a tan. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. It had to be oil. And even the smell of it, are so, you know, brings you back, you know. So that's that's a big thing for me. And easy singles. Oh, easy singles. So that's wh- also back. Why was that? But that was also back to, to lunches. And um, with my mother, she, again, she killed me. She, as she said, she doesn't give me plastic sandwiches every single day. Not that it's plastic cheese, it's delicious cheese. Um, <laughs> But it, it it was just back to going to school, having yeah. your lunches yeah. made and um and going back there like and also because the the actual design of the packet attracts me. I love the colours. Mm. I love the fact that I have to paint it with it torn slightly because I have to be able to get the reflection and I have to be able to sort of, you know, create a, a really like because you're painting something that's really normal, like yeah. a package. Yeah. I think when you paint something like that, they become extraordinary once you paint them. Mm. So they mm. look completely different. Like, I think it's like a heightened image when it's finished. Yeah, and you know? it has this, um, in, in terms of the light on it, and, and I suppose this is where the kind of the the Andy Warhol um, uh, kind of thing comes into it because it's like it's under a spotlight. So yeah. you've captured a light point, a light source. Yeah. Which highlights, as you say, the, the imperfections about but that's it yeah and it does it just sort of brings I think it actually brings it alive it brings mm. the image alive and even if I'm painting a bottle like the old 7-Up bottle it's exactly the same thing it just brings it alive it's sort of it's a pop of colour and then it has all the highlights and reflections and mm. stuff like that which like I a, find amazing kind of a hyper-realistic you could nearly it is hyper-realistic put, put your yeah. hand in and, and, and pull and what's the so funny is when out. I'm actually drawing and painting them um, I actually draw in sections and I draw based on um, sort of design and pattern. So if somebody actually shows, when I look at my finished picture, sometimes I wonder how I did it. But I know how I did it because it's just in small sections. So I'll, I'll paint in a tiny little area until the patterns all come together. And then I'll stand back and go, oh, yeah, it's coming together mm-hmm. now. And then I work on it that way, you know. Right. OK. And I suppose you've made it difficult for yourself by picking iconic brands that everybody is familiar with. So there's no yeah. hiding. You can't just say, no. this is my interpretation of the sun or a field. Oh, no. You know, no, it's, it's like right up there in your face. Will, people will know about it. Um, okay, so talk to me then about this new collection you have, uh, which isn't food packets from your childhood, yeah. but uh, you've got a little bit of market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it features another iconic brand, um, yeah. you know, especially in, in Dublin, Cork and Galway, the Brown Thomas Bag. Yeah. Well, where did you where did you start with that, Orla? Okay, so one of my big things in life is drawing, and I will sit and I will draw for hours. So I was working up towards a show called Fifty Shades of Grey, working on the pencil, and I wanted again to go back on images that I really loved. So I was using Action Man and Cindy. Um, they because oh, my brother Cindy I was oh, yeah. a Cindy girl now you so can take I. your Barbies <laughs> it's exactly the same just at Cindy's and then my brother had the action man and then they were married and also I used to strip them of all their clothes so I've one naked action man one naked Cindy and then I drew um, the Queen of Spades because my father would play cards with us all summer taught my children how to gamble well not gamble play poker and at the end of the summer I was leaving our summer home and there was a crumpled up 
uh, Queen of Spades on the floor. So that was another image that I said, okay, because it's all our family and fun in summer. And then uh, say my Nana would talk all about uh, Michael Collins and she'd tell us stories about Lady Lavery. So I created this letter that the last letter that Lady Lavery would have written Michael Collins and also then back the Brown Thomas bag. My mother and I would go every year when I was a little girl. I Even when I was in younger school, like junior school, mum would say for when it was coming up to Christmas, I'd have a day off to go shopping to do all the Christmas shopping. And it was just so exciting. And to have one, to have a day off school. And then you'd arrive into town, you'd do the shopping, but we'd go into Brown Thomas's. And it was kind of like a big treat to go in there. And I love bags as well. Like, I mean, my husband would go to the States on business and I'd say, go into Tiffany's and get me a bag. And he goes, well, I sure, I'm not buying anything in there. I said, I don't know, <laughs> buy a key ring, do anything. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, go in, go in and get me the brown bag from Bloomingdale's. Like, and just fold them in your case and bring them. So, brown thumbs to me, the bag, fantastic. Mm. So, I wanted to draw that as well. So, when... COVID came and everything came. We'd sort of months and months and months to sit back and look at the the drawings that I'd done. And I wanted to, desperate to develop the idea and move into something like mixed media, which I hadn't. I wanted to do something like use watercolour. I wanted to use digital print. I wanted to use like Posca pens. And I actually got to use Posca pens there recently for the first time ever. I went down with Sports Direct. I did a collaboration with them and went down to Dromolan Castle for the uh, Women's Irish Open and uh, I drew uh, onto the golf balls with the Posca pens and did all the artwork on them. So that was great fun. But I'd actually just... So I was like, I want to use everything and draw on everything I have and create these images, create these backgrounds and then print the brand Thomas bag on top. And the idea being that like anyone who shops and goes into a shop like Brand Thomas will walk in and everyone will come out with something different in the bag. Everyone's attracted to something different. And I wanted each of the bags to reflect a different personality so that once somebody walks into the exhibition and they see them, they're, you know, they're attracted specifically because what's exploding in the background. So that the paintings are of the Brown Thomas bag and then each of the backgrounds is a different personality, as yes. you call it. And you've created how many of them? 15, 15 of, them. of them. So give us an example of some of them. So you have one called Romance, another one called Graffiti Love. Yeah. Is that just to kind of put them in a place where where people might just resonate with, yeah, with the, themselves. Absolutely, because I think it's like like when you're even going down to fashion, like, you know, you walk in and people like people will go in and buy the same jacket. But if somebody has a bit of graffiti splashed in the back of it, the, the, then somebody will go straight for that and go, oh, that's the one I love, you know, because that's their personality and it shows in the clothes that they wear. And like another one I, I, I have there, it's called Runway. And it's actually the... Chanel colours from this season and so just using all their colours and then their logo dripping in the background because you will have the girl who just loves Chanel mm. and um, and then like romantic I wanted to create sort of a, a watercolour soft you know background and similar to somebody you know liking a landscape or liking pop art or liking there's just a little bit of everything mm. in it. Okay if you're just joining me now I am speaking to artist Orla Walsh who is showing her pop art collection in Art Source, which is on the RDS next weekend you're listening to the home show here on News Talk. Uh, Orla um, you have because you've d- always worked with these kind of iconic images, uh, I know that you did a series using the Heinz tomato ketchup, which of course is probably one of the globally most significant brands ever. But you got into trouble. 
I did. I did. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> that taught me a lot. Um, I had painted my first ever six bottles and um, I brought them to Stephen's Green at the time and put them up on the railings and I was very excited. And then along came this uh, lady. Um, she'd come out of Habitat at the time on Stephen's Green and she came across the road and asked me about the ketchup bottles and uh, I was delighted and thought she'd buy one and she said that she was the corporate lawyer for Heinz Ireland. <laughs> So she said that I was infringement of copyright and that I couldn't sell their their art. Like I, they, they owned, it was their IP, so I had to take them down off the railings. And I actually thought I was going to be sued. And I said that I didn't paint anymore, that they were my first six, which was true and everything. And uh, then she got back onto me. She took my details and uh, she told me that she'd shown them to the guys in the world headquarters and they bought those six for the boardroom in the World Headquarters and she sent me a picture of them. Rochelle McCarthy was her name. She's a fabulous girl. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> so, well, you do now, yeah. So, a close scrape turned into a big customer. Yeah, a big customer and yeah. it really, you know, it was fabulous. Like, I mean, for a good few years we did uh, merchandise in the UK. Um, we did the uh, I Love Ketchup with that image was used. And we did everything like we did from like aprons to notebooks to lunch boxes to every type of kit you could think of. And it was all in BHS home stores, John Lewis, Asda. And um, it was huge. It went all through the UK. It was absolutely fantastic. How long does each drawing take you? Um, certainly in terms of, say, the new BT bag collection. Yeah. So the collection probably took me about, I'd say, a year and a half to really decide on the backgrounds and work my way through what was going through my head and to get used to using things like, you know, the watercolour, the Posca pen and stuff like that to and pencil just to create something that I knew I was happy with mm. and that I knew would be right and correct. So probably about a year and a half in creation them. And uh, what's next for you now, Orla, after this collection? Hopefully you'll sell out next oh, weekend. God, and that be fantastic. Uh, are, are you still going to stay with, with brands and pop art? Or yes, Or have yes, you an inclination to move into portraiture or landscaping? No, or no that'll never happen for me. I know it'll <laughs> never happen for me because I've never had a curiosity in that area. And I think because I'm so fascinated, like, I mean, even when I go back to college and, and think about was, was I influenced by pop art and things like that? I was, like, and, and like one of the first things I ever built in college when I was asked to build a teapot, um, it was actually, you know, I used the Coke bottle as the handle. I used like the Brillo box as the main sort of teapot. And then it was like Dick Tracy's hat was the, the <laughs> lid, you know. So it was all that kind of stuff. I think forever it's, it's really influenced me. And that's the thing I'm attracted to the most. All right. Well, you can have a, a look at Orla's collection and indeed all of the other artists uh, that are at ArtSource. It runs next weekend in the RDS. And uh, if you want to go along, you can just check out uh, ArtSource uh, at the RDS and um, it is well worth going in and having a look. Orla Walsh, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Still to come on the Home Show podcast, we'll be getting top gardening advice from Peter Dowdle about our waterlogged winter gardens and Neve Marr will be here to tell us what a breakfast pantry is so stay tuned and we'll be back in a few moments 
Now, there is no doubt that the season has changed. The clocks have gone back, uh, it, the wintry weather is in and uh, at home our gardens are looking uh, a bit miserable after what was a, a dismal and waterlogged summer. So we're all in need of a little bit of expert advice and I am delighted that I have it on hand today and I'm joined by Peter Dowdle, gardener extraordinaire. Peter, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Thanks, Jane. Delighted. Now, we've had a lot of counties experiencing flood conditions lately and look, there's been far more serious instance for businesses and homeowners than their garden. But anybody with a patch of grass has been affected because of drainage issues and all of that and the constant rain uh, for much of uh, the summer months. So we thought we'd talk about what practical steps we could take if the garden remains a little bit waterlogged. Depending on what is causing the waterlogging in the garden will determine what the answer is there, Sinead. So if it's if it's poor drainage, well, that can be improved. You can you can improve that uh, by going down and just improving the drainage, improving the soil structure. And particularly with a lot of new builds and new housing estates, a lot of that problem is caused by soil compaction. So so what's that, I hear you ask? And it's, it's if you can imagine all the heavy machinery that's involved during construction time, your JCBs and your excavators and all this, they tend to go on similar paths and similar tracks and, you know, they might be going to dump areas or pick up stuff. So it's the same areas get this heavy traffic throughout construction. That leads to soil compaction, which, as you can imagine, in time then leads to, to very poor drainage because the soil has got compacted underneath it. It's more or less turned to rock. So soil compaction is something which can be can be fixed. Um, ideally, the builders should fix it before they, mm. they give the houses over, but that doesn't happen. But it can be fixed at a later date. So drainage issues can be improved by, obviously, enough improving the drainage. However, if it's if it's a high water table, so in other words, if it's just naturally that the water under the soil is getting higher and higher and, and it waterlogs, well, then, unfortunately, then there's nothing you can do there. There's nothing you can do with that. But what is, what is something is, I mean, my heart goes out to anybody who's had their home or business flooded over the last weeks and Mm. Unfortunately, I mean, as you said, we had an exceptionally wet summer and then we had a, it hit nearly 30 degrees in September, which is unheard of in Ireland, let alone at any time of the year, let alone September. And then we've had this torrential rain over the last while. But we need to look, I think, at our gardens. As you said correctly, I mean, the garden flooding isn't an issue compared to the home flooding, and it's not. And we should look at our gardens as areas where we can hopefully alleviate the flood getting into the wrong places and what I, I don't just mean our gardens but also the greater landscape and the natural landscape uh, my understanding of, of water management outside is if we can slow down the passage of water so it's slow it getting into these urban areas and slow it getting into towns and cities um, the way nature does allowing it to flood in the floodplains you know we don't have beavers in Ireland but where they are in the rivers in UK and places where they build these little mini dams mm. it all just slows the passage of water so allowing our gardens to flood, most plants will tolerate flooding for, for a oh, right. you know, temporary period of time. Provided it's not too long and a prolonged mm. period, if it's just a couple of days, they'll be fine. But um, so I'd much rather my garden flooded than my living room. You know, so we, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we do need to look at these kind of areas as, as natural flood defence. Do you think that in modern times uh, that we have kind of over-engineered our gardens too much, like by putting down paving and decking and God, the worst of all, that AstroTurf plasticky stuff? Uh, like, are we better off leaving more natural environments for, for that seepage? Well, yes, it's a tricky one to answer, Sinead. Yes is the answer. The more natural it can be, the better. 
uh, because nature nature can do a much better job than anything we can. But then you need to look at reality too. So and reality is like in in suburban and urban Ireland. So in, in semi D's throughout Dublin and Cork and Limerick, you know we and everyone's garden we. Everyone's garden is unique in that it has a different set of needs, but the majority of our gardens, we do want somewhere to sit outside and for, for a bit of outdoor dining for when the weather allows. We, we may need an area for kids to play. We, you know, we, we have different needs. Um, so we need, to, we need to kind of marry the two of them together. So we can have paved areas, but we could also look at gravel for those hard stands. So gravel is a porous surface, obviously, and gravel can get through, or sorry, water can get through gravel. Mm. Um, AstroTurf, which you correctly mentioned, kind of through gritted teeth, is is for me an absolute no-no. Plastic yeah. grass yeah. is an absolute no-no. It's, it's it's polluting in its manufacture and it's polluting in its disposal, and it does nothing uh, for for the garden or for the soil. Uh, natural grass is a much much better, or even a wildflower meadow is a much much better area for kids to play on. So yes, to a large degree, we have over-engineered it. Uh, Added to, like, the most important thing that we have is that six inches of soil, which covers the whole planet. That gives us everything we need, our food, our medicines, everything. And then we're damaging the soil. So the most important thing we can be doing is improving the soil all the time because yeah. that, will, that will improve drainage and will also improve, improve plant growth. Okay, now you said, you surprised me a little bit earlier by saying that most plants are, you know, well set up to deal with occasional flooding or water logging. But are there particular plants which are better at it and, and kind of more resistant to, the, especially if you're living in a low-lying area and this is a more frequent event for you? Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Most plants, as you say, uh, they'll, they'll tolerate short periods of flooding or short periods of drought or short periods of extreme low temperatures but not prolonged. But then there are plants, absolutely. So in terms of, of trees, you have things like the native iris willow, alder, um, even birch to a degree. Things like that will love boggy, you know, marginal ground and they'll help to dry it up for us. Um, you, you have other plants then, hydrangeas, formiums, all these things, which we all know and love. They'll all thrive in, in waterlogged soils. And there are, I could go on, there's lists of them. But it's all about, as you, you're correctly kind of alluding to, it's all about getting the right plants for the right mm. places. And unfortunately, along a lot of our waterways, an awful lot of the right plants have been removed, like native willow and all these kind of hedgerows are gone. And another interesting one, uh, Sinead, is is that for those of us who make our own compost, which is obviously the right thing to do because you're 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 preventing it going to landfill, your your kitchen waste and your garden waste, and you're also creating new soil. But what I didn't realise until recently is our own homemade compost will absorb up to twenty times its weight in water. So it's a fabulous thing to be adding to the garden, uh, and it, like. The nature has the solutions for us if we, yeah. we kind of listen to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So something like that. If we, you know, if you can imagine, uh, or even just putting a water butt in our own garden just to collect the rainwater from the roof. If you can imagine, if every if every home in Dublin had a water butt, how many millions of liters of water would be stopped from entering the Liffey in times of flooding? You know. Indeed, indeed. And as you said, nature has these solutions already. Now I know because I've read some of the stuff that you've written, Peter, and you are a fan of maybe looking at a different way that we can have greenery and maintain it without uh, and especially I suppose for those maybe who don't have, have gardens at the back of their house and you you're, you like the idea of green walls and roof gardens do you think we should be doing more of that? Without question Sinead yes I'm, I'm a bit passionate about that <laughs> about, about green walls and roof gardens because if, like, without going too far off the point if we look at any of the or most of the problems facing us, the, the modern day problems facing us now, we have things like climate change, which we're talking about, species extinction, you know, increasing mental health problems. All of these, 
you know, if not, if they can't be cured, they can certainly be partially cured by, by looking at the green environment and the natural landscape, like green walls in our cities. If you, you can imagine all the rain that, is, that lands in our towns and cities, it all, I think it's about 90% of it lands on rooftops. Mm-hmm. And what happens then, it travels into the, into the, 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 the gutters yeah. and down the downpipe and into the storm drainage system. So you have millions of litres of water going into the storm drainage system and into our rivers, you know, very, very quickly. Again, going back to what I said, if we can slow down that, that travel of water, by how, if we have roof gardens in, in, on, in our towns and cities, mm. green walls, which is basically just cutting a wall with plants, this slows the amount of water going into our storm drainage system. And this isn't just me waffling on. I mean, Berlin and London, which are probably two of the standard bearers cities in Europe, they've proved that it can reduce mm. the speed of it. The volume can be reduced by 70%. So that's 70% of that water never enters our rivers. That's right. incredible. And, the, and speed, the speed can be slowed significantly as well. Yeah, and there are some commercial organisations who are ticking their green boxes by putting up uh, roof gardens and green spaces. Uh, so so it would be great to see some of that continuing. OK, well, look, let's bring it a little bit home. We're well into, um, <laughs> I'm going to say autumn, I mean winter. Uh, what kind of things should we be doing in the garden now, Peter? Is it too early to cut back our our plants? Because, I mean, mine, some of mine are still flowering. My rhododendron has decided to make another burst for glory and I've roses still on one of my trees. Like, what should I leave them or, or what? I think the answer to that is yes. But if I could just very throw one sentence into the last, you were talking yep. about companies ticking their boxes on on the green issues and things like that. We shouldn't also we shouldn't just look at it as ticking boxes for you know to keep the sustainability officer happy. Like doing what we're doing with green walls and green roofs makes our towns and cities nicer places to live, to work, to visit. It's like got so much benefits to it. But anyway, Indeed. moving on, as you say, to, to um, moving on to, to what we should be doing in our own gardens. Well, this year is 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 very strange because, yeah, I'm, like you say, hydrangeas are still producing new flowers. They're not beginning to, to go dormant. Rose is still in bloom. It's not unusual for spring flowering plants like the rhododendrons and azaleas that you mentioned, you know, to have a few errant blooms at this time of the year, if you like. But what's happened now is some of them, I'm seeing them every day, actually, because I visit gardens every day and I'm seeing different ones in full bloom. And these are spring flowering plants. And it's caused because of that that lovely warm spell and high temperature spell we had in September. It's tricked the plants into thinking that it's spring. So they're flowering now. And it does mean that we won't get the, those blooming next next spring unfortunately. Oh but, is that it? Yeah, so if they're yeah, if so if I'm getting my colour now, I'm not going to get are, it in March. You're not going to, you're not going to get it in the spring, no. Oh dear. You know, it's it's throwing it's throwing things out of kilter, all right. Um so I would say in answer to your question in terms of cutting back, I wouldn't be cutting back my azaleas not this time of the year anyway. And but when it comes to the hydrangeas and roses and, and late flowering stuff, they the, the temperatures surely will drop at some point over the next couple of months. And it's after that that I would cut them back. Ah, but it's still, okay. you could certainly be planting bulbs and things like that in the garden for spring for next season. Wonderful. And is there anything uh, veg-wise that we should be planting at the moment? What I would look at in the veg garden, really, well, of course, depending on if, if the temperatures aren't going to drop for a while, you could still be growing your salad crops outdoors, lettuces and, and, and rockets. And, and I am. And they're flying, actually. The, the, the kind of radicchio is, is flying up in the garden at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, that shouldn't be happening outdoors really in November, but there you go. And the, But what I would do, what I'm a great fan of is sowing a green manure on my outdoor beds, which is, you know, you you just sow it now and let it on, let it there during the winter months and it just you dig it back into the ground then in the spring. 
time. Or if you want to add farmyard manure or seaweed or mushroom compost, anything you can add to the soil during the winter months will really give you rich, rich dividends when you start planting out next spring. Brilliant. All right. And you can catch all of Peter's advice uh, in the Irish Examiner where he writes on all things gardening. And you'll be joining us again, Peter, I hope, over the winter months uh, to give us more tips on garden planting and and all of that. So for now, thanks very much uh, for joining us on The Home Show. A pleasure, Sinead. Thank you. My next guest grew up in the family business that her father started and now runs it with her two brothers, Des Kelly. Interiors has expanded over the years and they've just opened a million euro flagship store in Blanchardstown Retail Park with a dedicated pillow bar in its sleep zone and experts on hand to make sure you get a good night's sleep. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Yolanda Kelly uh, of uh, the sleep zone, (laughs) who's now going to talk to us all about that. Yolanda, you're very welcome along to the home show uh, this morning. Now, talk to me about, it is so important that people get a good night's sleep and buy the the best bed and the best mattress because it's something you have for a long time. Um, it's, it's really, really important because people on average spend eight hours um, a night in bed, which kind of equates to about a third of your life in bed. So it's really, really important to pick a bed and a mattress that suits you. Mm. Um, everybody's needs and wants are different. So we've created um, our showroom in West End to give that experience to people where they feel comfortable to come in and lie down and take their time, try out the different beds lie there with a pillow and, you know, take 30 minutes, 40 minutes, two hours if they want to. They might not off. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, it's all about making it that they're buying the right bed for them. Um, Because when you're spending so much time in bed and you want to invest in your sleep, um, it's important to pick the right bed Mm, for you. mm. Um, So we've invested heavily in training all our staff, um, getting them to be sleep experts as such so that they can give that knowledge onto the customer. There's a perceived wisdom out there, rightly or wrongly, that a firm mattress is the best one or like a feather pillow. Is that correct for everyone? Not really, because everybody, um, as I say, their needs and wants are different. So some people prefer a softer bed. They could be side sleepers. So, you know, something like a foam mattress, a memory foam would be better. Um, And then you've got like, you know, temperature is really important as well when you're going to um, get a better sleep as such. So we've got cooling gel mattresses that would suit other people better. Um, There's a lot of science behind it that would help um, regulate your temperature if you're menopausal or just, you know, some people have night sweats. Um, So it's all about keeping like getting what's important for you and your circumstances. You're probably then kind of horrified, maybe slightly, by people who just buy a mattress online and hope for the best. I, I, We do sell mattresses online ourselves, but we do encourage people to come into our showrooms and try them out because... I mean, if you're buying something online and you're just reading about it and someone's telling you that there's 2,000 springs in a mattress, mm. that might mean nothing to you at all. So coming in and lying down and trying them, I think, is really, really important. So we've put a lot of, um, there's, you know, a lot of time into showcasing our showrooms to make cu- customers feel comfortable to do that. Yeah. Because there's, you know, 
we want you to lie there and <laughs> you know if you do nod off all all the better like it you know we're not going to oh, judge you're you not wake you up. <laughs> yeah. okay. give you a little poke and get you out of bed but it is really important to try them so um like although we do sell mattresses online a lot of them you know we'd ring and you know yeah. say are you sure, sure? Are you yeah. sure? do you yeah. want to yeah. come in because that's that's the good thing about having bricks and mortar stores yeah. that people can try them now it seems to me the make or break certainly for me and a good night's sleep is the pillow because if I wake up with a crick in my neck or you know feeling that I've kind of fallen off the pillow or been too high during the night. So how do you go about choosing the right pillow? Uh, does it depend on your sleep position or or what are the factors? Um, our staff, because they're so trained now at this stage with um, the knowledge of sleep, they will measure you up with the, you know, there is science behind having the correct sized pillow. Are you a side sleeper? Do you sleep on your back? Um, so getting the right pillow is really important. So that's why we put in the pillow bar and we have that in um, several of our stores already and the rest will mm. have them. Picking the right pillow is just as important as your mattress. Yeah, and, and the old memory foam now has made a big splash, hasn't it? Because it used to be kind of that um, artificial kind of... Uh, stuff in the middle and then it was feathering down you had to have the feather thing but actually the memory phone moulds itself nearly doesn't it? It does, it moulds um, to the shape of your body so that there's no um, pressure points um, like you know it's all about being, keeping your spine aligned everything all comfortable and supported. Alright, well Yolanda Kelly uh, thank you for joining us uh, today on The Home Show and I suppose for carrying on your dad's business now, it's very much a family affair isn't it? It is a family yeah. business and it's great to be able to still kind of be trusted with it and um, keep it going for my mum and dad, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, thanks for that. And uh, coming up after the break, what is a breakfast pantry and what do you keep in it? Well, Neve Marr has been having her Weetabix. She's been out shopping for us to take a look. So do stay tuned for that. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Home Show podcast. This week, I'm Sinead Ryan and I'm joined once again by our stalwart shopper and interior designer, Neve Marr, Creative Director of Journal Media. Neve, you're very welcome back to the Home Show podcast. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that uh, I really hadn't thought of before, but what do, what's new about that, says you? It's the latest must-have in all the most fabulous houses in the world, and that is the breakfast pantry. What's that all about? Oh, I love it. I love the idea of it. The breakfast pantry or the breakfast cupboard. Well, firstly, this is a great tool for minimising the hectic craziness of the morning rush. I don't know about you, but morning times in general are just a little bit hectic, especially now because I've got a little one, it's even more hectic. So anything that I can do to minimise the craziness of the morning is well received in my household. And for me, having organisation very much lends itself to that. So pantries, obviously they go back to the middle ages. The the pantry that is the walk-in pantry is something that is usually in larger homes. It's very much popular on social media at the moment because people do these pictures of their pantries mm. that are so organised, colour-coded and it's the dream but obviously not everybody has the ability to have a walk-in pantry. So the breakfast cupboard is born and it's a wonderful idea. Um, essentially it is usually a dresser traditionally with folding doors but it can also be built into a bespoke kitchen which is the dream. I love the built-in ones and the reality is it keeps all of your breakfast bits out of sight. So out of sight, out of mind. 
Right. So what kind of things are going to be in it then? Is yeah. it going to be like cereals and coffee or Absolutely. What? So it depends on your sizing, it depends on your space, but essentially you're well, looking at the home show. So let's go full lux. Right. Yeah, let's go full lux. Okay. So you're you're talking about your kettle, you're talking about your toaster, you're talking about your coffee machine, you're talking about your cereals, you're talking about your bread and a place to actually cut your bread as well to go into the toaster. So you're keeping mm. all of that mess away and you're keeping it all out of sight. Um, I suppose the big difference between a breakfast cupboard or a breakfast pantry and a larder or a standard pantry is that you're not going to have your spices in it. You're not going to have your spice racks and things. This is a bespoke area that's just, just for breakfast. For breakfast. Wow. Exactly. Okay. And there's a few things that are really key when it comes to this. So your sockets. So basically the whole point of this is to have something that you can easily get, easily get to, but also easily banish from your mind as well. So the minute breakfast is over, you're thinking about lunch. So you don't want to be looking at that stuff anymore. So doors are very important for that. So we can look at different types of doors on your breakfast cupboard. Recess doors are very much in. You could have pocket doors as well is a trend that we're seeing too. Um, And also bat wing kind of pantry doors as well are good. So the ones that kind of open up like French doors, because why not? So this is a part of your kitchen, a pantry you're only going to use once a day. You open it up everything's in front of you. Exactly. All colour coordinated and pastel and smeg and all obviously. Exactly. And then you close it off, you go to work and you don't open it again until the next day. Exactly. Fabulous. And the Love point it. is that there's everything in one sleek, almost wardrobe style facade where there's no chance of a visual overload. And I think that that's what you're trying to achieve in, in developing a breakfast cupboard. And the thing is, is that obviously if you're getting it built into your kitchen, you're talking big money. And that's because when you're doing a redesign of a kitchen, which, you know, can cost anywhere from 10 to, to 20K if you're doing a full kitchen design, this is where you get the, the breakfast cupboard built in. Yeah, so you get it bespoke, you get to design it from scratch and say, I want it in that corner with three sockets, exactly. under counter lighting, everything I need, and then you can pick all your appliances. Okay, exactly. now for the, for the rest of us <laughs> who are uh, looking at maybe a corner of our kitchen where everything is just mishmashed on the counter, including all the crumbs and all of that. You have been looking at a few options where we could create yes. kind of cupboards for different price points. Yes. So we we'll look points. at what we're, what we're looking at and then people can go and have a look at it online. Absolutely. So the thing is, when I was talking about the price of the kitchen there, like there are a few different things that you think about. The size of the space, the scope of the project and also the quality of the materials comes into focus whenever you're thinking about budget. So basically, you know, if you're going to use granite, that's going to cost a lot more than laminate, for example, if the size of the space that you want to use is bigger, then you can kind of spend a bit more. So I looked at some freestanding options. And this is, for example, if you have a kitchen that you want to incorporate this, but you don't have a bespoke breakfast cupboard, you can still use one. So Cave Home, Cave with a K, 1915 That's expensive, but we're looking at a two-door sideboard. It's made from mango wood and it's about 120 by 170 It's very classy looking, actually. Oh, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And, and this can be really curves good. Curves and pale wood. And Absolutely. Really nice. And it's really nice as well if you have a wall in your kitchen that's not being utilised. If you want to bring the price point down a little bit, wooddesign.ie is a great website and they've got an organised mist pine wood cabinet for 959 mm. euro and um, it's it's beautiful because it has this lovely mist grey colour but it has these antique style brass handles which gives kind of a modern twist to yeah. essentially a predominantly traditional cabinet which is where pantries 
come from mm. as well, a very traditional look. This one is very classy. I actually thought it was more going to be more expensive than that. It's it, fine. it yeah, looks it's really, um, really classy. And as you say, you have it then and as you part have, of your kitchen. And good. you can then build out the shelves as you want. Now, mm. if you're looking for something a little bit more affordable, check out Amazon. I'm a big Amazon girl. You can get um, a four tier or a five tier kitchen storage um, unit from Amazon for around £122 mark, you know, um, up to about €150 as well. It's a very simple and clear look. Now, this has clear cabinetry on it, so you can see it. So so your organisation is going to have to come into play here. Um, But I will say what I think is a really good... uh, idea to do is to first go all the way down in the price point and get yourself a rolling kitchen cart which you can get on Amazon you can get really good ones on Ikea as well um, and actually store all of your breakfast goods there and see if you use it because yeah, the thing is, yeah. is that just the idea of this is really nice but if you don't actually go and utilise the space that you want for your breakfast in the morning maybe it's not for you and that's okay. Yeah and of course you know you might find that you're opening it 10 times a day to look for bread yeah. or find you you know, some butter or jam or, you know, something that that is in it. And exactly. if that's the case, well, you might as well leave it where, where it was before. But I, I just, because I'm kind of an ordered person, mm-hmm. I like the idea of having that uh. open everything in front of you and, more importantly, close. And close it, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, like... I would love to have a walk-in pantry one day. I think I think it's <laughs> wouldn't like, we all? wouldn't we yeah, all? Yeah. But I think that this is a really nice way. And also the appliances, my God, appliances upon appliances. The world is filled with appliances. So mm. if we can put those things away in a cupboard, I think our lives would be a little bit yeah, easier. Yeah, exactly. And actually, when I was thinking about you coming in and talking about this and doing this item, it occurred to me as I was making my coffee and mm. thinking about it that in fact I kind of nearly have one of these by not thinking about it because I have one press cupboard regular press cupboard which has two couple of types of teas because depending on the type of day I prefer different types of tea mm. uh, a kilner jar with my coffee in it because I like See. proper coffee and I keep a jam and a marmalade there so actually it's almost you have one already and teapots yeah you have one without even realising yeah. it. You, you've naturally started to do it. And this is the thing. I think it's just so handy. And, and it's functionality. And if you have guests over, you can kind of say, there's the there's the cupboard for the morning. You know, yeah. if you're up first or whatever. So, um, yes, yeah, so maybe actually lots of us have this without even thinking. And if you're one of them, folks, let us know. Did you, do you have, have you a breakfast pantry and you didn't even know it? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what will you do with it now that Neve has given us all those amazing um, uh, design items? Uh, Neve, you're very, very welcome back. As always to the whole show. Thank you for doing all our shopping for us yet again. Someone has to do it. I know. (laughs) It's a tough gig. Creative Director with Journal Media. And that is all we have time for on this latest episode of the Home Show podcast. And Neve, thank you so much for joining us. What's your Instagram for anybody who wants to look up at uh, the stuff that you have on it there? Yeah, it's Neve underscore Mar for all my messy breakfast content <laughs> you can enjoy. Right, okay, and baby Lola features there yes, as well. Um, okay, and that is all we have time for. If you'd like to get involved in the podcast or maybe suggest a guest to us or an item you'd like to have covered, well then please get in touch with us during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 I think I'm still on Twitter under that as well and we'd love to hear from you thanks to Eva Breen producing this week Stephen McLoon was on sound and we will see you all again next time The Home Show with Sinead Ryan Saturday morning at 8 with Daikin on News Talk.